Okay, we're in Numbers 22 today. We're in this series called Fuzzy Math. And, in fact, I'll put that slide up, fuzzy math, when what God does doesn't make sense. Uh, um, Let me begin with a story. I don't know if you know this, but there's been a spate of counterfeit bills uh, in the area. Did you all know that? Have you realized that? Well, the guy doing that was an amateur, and he made a big stack of $21 bills. He got the plate for the 20 and the 1 mixed up, and he had a lot of money in it because, you know, the paper is expensive and the ink, and so he's trying to figure out... Where can I go and spend or get change for a $21 bill? He's thinking about it. He's thinking, um, Dollar General would be a good place to try. So he goes to Dollar General. You know, it's like usually there's one person working there, and maybe they're not that bright. He doesn't really know. But anyway, he's thinking, all right, the one Dollar General he went into, the guy didn't seem too sharp, and so he goes to the Dollar General. He gets there. And it just so happens that day there are several workers and he's just intimidating. He gets scared and he doesn't even try. And then he's thinking to himself, okay, I have to have another plan. And so his next plan was <clears throat> he's going to go to a church because church people are always thinking about you know, Jesus but not money. And so he's thinking church would be perfect to try to pass off my $21 bill. And it just so happened the closest church was Freedom Fellowship. And so he knocks on the door, and Miss Robin opens the door for this guy, and they have conversations. She's pleasant to talk to, and they have a pleasant little conversation. And in the conversation, eventually he says, Ma'am, would you be able to change this $21 bill? And Robin takes it, and he looks at it. She looks at it, and she says, Okay, do you want two sixes and a nine or three sevens? Uh, Because Robin is good at catching phony people. All right, so today we're going to talk about this this story, and it is a doozy. I mean, it really is one. I've never done a sermon on this. We're going to be in Numbers 22, and it's about, well, have you ever heard of Shrek and that talking donkey? Well, I think that comes from a Bible story about a guy named Balaam who was, he was a prophet, but he was kind of a false prophet. And so we're going to talk about that whole story today. Now, let me stipulate. I know there are a of jokes about your pastor and a talking donkey. And they kind of go like this most of the time. Uh, A talking donkey, what's so great about that? We hear it every week. So I know those are out there. They're all funny. They're quite funny. And and so let's just get them out of the way. Those are a hoot. Ha ha. All right. So now we can go on with ourselves. All right. So you got to know the backstory of all of these stories. You got to know the backstory before you get to the story. And so let's start with Numbers 22.1. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. So they're about to start their infiltration of the promised land, and they're sort of setting up a base camp, and it's on the edge of Moab. Now, this is a problem because the Jews have been wandering for 40 years. They finally are making their um, breach into the promised land, and they settle, and it's near a, the Moabites, now, the Moabites don't like this. Um, you, you have to understand, and let me, sh- I'll just, you have to understand the kind of the context, but uh, now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Israel has now gotten a reputation. They're kind of taking over land. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. Now, They didn't really have anything to be afraid of. They don't know this. 
but their cousins, the Moabites and the Israelites, are kind of cousins, and so they weren't, the Israelites weren't planning on attacking the Moabites, but they didn't know this. And so Moab and King Balak are justified in their fear because this is an invasion of lots and lots of people. Uh, it's really interesting. Numbers 22 and 23 are sort of an, kind of a... Um, kind of a set-aside of the rest of the story. So uh, several years ago, 2006, um, Clint Eastwood was directing a couple of movies, and he, he released them within two or three months of each other, and both of them were about the same topic. One was called Flags of Our Fathers, and the other was Letters from Iwo Jima, and it's about this World War battle, World War II battle of, of Iwo Jima. And he, he, uh, he released Flags of Our Fathers in October and Letters from Iwo Jima in December, and two movies about the same topic. But what was really interesting about them was the Flags of Our Fathers was written from an American perspective, and the Letters to Iwo Jima was written from a Japanese perspective. And so he looked at it from the same event from two different angles. So Numbers 22 and 23, the first 21 chapters of Numbers is sort of from a Jewish and Israelite perspective. But Numbers 22 and 23 are more from a, uh, a Moabite perspective. And so Balak is sort of telling his story. And it's kind of, it's interesting that this sort of shifts right here in chapters 22 and 23. Now, the, the Moabites, they inhabit this land. You have to understand, in that day, owning property was king. The, the, the commodity of kings was how much land you owned. So sometimes you took over land for survival. Maybe you don't have enough land to provide crops for your people, and so you take over land because you need to survive. And sometimes you take over land for prestige. And so whatever your motive, once you've acquired it, you have to protect it. And, and so kingdoms and kings, this is Israel, by the way, kingdoms and kings were constantly uh, thinking about either taking over new lands or protecting the lands that they have. And so Moab sees this contingency of people, and he's wondering to himself, okay, are they here for nefarious purposes? Are they here to... Um, if you're an army, if you're a kingdom, and an army shows up, you have to assume they're here for a purpose. Like, they're not probably just passing through. They're here to try to take my land. I think Balak is, is right in, a, in making an ass assessment that, man, this, this could be really a negative situation for us. And so I think he's worried, one, about them taking over. I think, number two, he's worried about this notion that uh, they are, if nothing else, if they don't even attack, they're going to deplete resources because resources are scarce. Gary and I were talking about just a minute ago, uh, it's a funny thing. When you grow food, there are things that want to eat your food. You know, like it's a, it's a rabbit or it's a deer or it's a snake, but something is going after your food. Well, in ancient times, you not only had to fend off predators, but you had people who, next week we're going to see about this, you had people who were coming to raid your fields and things, and so you had to not just protect your land, you had to protect the stuff on the land. And so Balak is disturbed. 
And so he calls a meeting. The king of Balaam said to the elders of the nation of Midian, uh, this mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in a field. He is worried that he is going to have his uh, resources depleted. Now the number of Israelites, that's up for debate. People kind of say, okay, it's at least 600,000 and some estimates go as high as 2.5 million. 600,000 people, let's just go with the low number. That is a lot of people to feed. 600,000 people. I mean, at Thanksgiving, we have like 10, and I, I don't know how we afford that. You know, Miriam was like, she's, uh, you know, uh, selling off our assets uh, just to feed people. And so I can imagine that when the king of Moab sees 600,000 people or a million people, that, that he is wondering to himself, this cannot be good. This has got to be a problem. So the king has an idea. An awful idea. The king has a wonderful, awful idea. And so he decides he's going to hire a prophet to come and curse the Israelites. Super interesting. Balak sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pether near the Euphrates River in his native land. Now, Balaam is not Israelite, and he's not Moabite. He is sort of neutral. He's like the Switzerland of, of prophets. And so um, they send, he's got a reputation. Here's his business card. Pagan prophets, Balaam, uh, son of Beor, he's the chief cursor. We have the perfect curse for every occasion. So evidently he's really good at it, and everybody knows his name. And so Balaam sends him, uh, Balak sends him a message, and this is what he says. Balak said, a people have come out of Egypt, they cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. They haven't invaded yet, but they're close. Now, come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. Uh, one commentator called this the mother-in-law curse, the go-away curse. And so, uh, uh, not me, but uh, one commentator. And, and so, uh, the mother-in-law curse, hey, uh, curse these people so they will leave the area. And, and that was the message that Balak, he, he sends this entourage to go to Balaam to persuade him. Hey, we, we need a curse. And not just that, we need a curse and we're willing to pay. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them a fee. They're, they weren't just asking for a favor. They're trying to hire a dude to do a job. And when they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Now, they make a pitch. Um, I, I like the notion of this. They're business people. Uh, we've got these folks. They've come. They're threatening us. They're threatening to eat all, all of our stuff. And so we'd like you to come and curse them. And they make the pitch. And Balaam listens, and then he says, let me think about it, and he thinks about it. Now, understand something. Balaam is a pagan prophet. He knows about God. He knows the name of God. And he, he, he doesn't, he's not a follower of God, but he knows about him. And so in his thought, in his thinking, uh, God says to him, don't do that. Don't go curse. Those are my people, and my people are going to be blessed and I don't need you to do this. And so Balaam goes back to the entourage and he says, Look, I've, I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. I'd like to go with you. I'd like to accept this fee. 
but I can't, um, I just don't feel like it's the right thing to do. By the way, Balaam is 370 miles away where he lives from this area. It's a three-week journey. And so these people, this entourage has traveled three weeks to make the pitch. They get shot down. They go back three weeks, back to Balak. Now we're talking six weeks. And they tell him, hey, Balaam isn't going to come. Now, Obviously, Balak the king has read uh, Donald Trump's Art of the Deal, and so he sort of decides, okay, well, let me see what's going on here. Now, in negotiations, and I'm not great at this, but I've read some about it, in negotiations, uh, when somebody is holding out for more, they usually have something called leverage. Uh, it's called supply and demand. I've got something you want, and uh, the, the, the supply is limited, uh, and so I can demand more money for a limited resource. Well, his resource is he's a great curser, and he's a guy that uh, is known for cursing, and you really want something cursed. So uh, Balak's mind goes to, okay, he's just holding out for more money. It, it's logical. Now, If you're Balak the king, and you really want this guy to do the cursing job for you, you send a bigger, better entourage with a bigger, better offer. And that's exactly what he does. Then Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. And they came to Balaam, and they said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because... I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. All right, quick question for you. Um, if somebody said to you, here's a blank check, I need you to do this work, would, would that entice you? Because that's what happens here. He, he, he basically says, I have a blank check. I'm willing to pay you pretty much anything. So you need to come back. That, that, that's the offer. All right, so Balaam, now he had heard from God, and God said, don't you do it. So Balaam says, I really can't go, but let me check. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. He says, I, I can't go, but, but let me check. And God this time says, you can go, but there's a stipulation to your going. Uh, the stipulation is, Go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. You can go, but you can't say anything apart from what I want you to say. So now the story gets interesting. It's interesting already. It gets more interesting. It gets interesting-er. So now all of a sudden, Balaam, it says he saddles his donkey, got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. And somebody said that the, uh, the donkey is the Ford Taurus of uh, ancient travel. Uh, it's dependable, it's uh, uh, affordable, and occasionally it's found on the road dead. Uh, so that's sort of the, the donkey. Now this is where it's confusing. But God was very angry when he went. <laughs> Well, how does that make any sense? Because God said he could go. Go, but only say what I want you to say. And so Balaam now goes, and God is very angry when, when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. And Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. 
All right, we're going to circle back to that. There is a reason I think that does make sense, but it is a little bit confusing. And when the donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field, and Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. And the language here is not just he taps it on the shoulder, but this is a kind of a, a severe beating. He beats this animal. It kind of, I mean, it's a different world, different society, but kind of makes you cringe a little bit. And there's an old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. And so here you have this donkey, and he sees this angel of the Lord, and he's more perceptive about spiritual things than Balaam, who is this noted prophet. And he sees this angel of the Lord, and three times he will not go forward. Uh, one time he brushes Balaam's uh, leg up against uh, a, a this cliff and so he he just three times he says he just kind of lays down he won't go and three times he is beaten now now comes the uh when god does something that doesn't add up part because this is it's hard to believe then the lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to balaam so the donkey speaks what have i done to you to make you beat me these three times now, is there another explanation other than this donkey actually spoke literal words? Uh, I'm sure there is an explanation. The, the real question is, does there have to be an explanation other than the donkey actually spoke? We are people who believe the Scriptures, and in Scriptures, God, this creator of time, space, and dimension, of all things, the Lord does miraculous things. He heals, gives sight to people who are born blind. He heals people who have this incurable disease, at least in that day, called leprosy. He gives hearing to people born deaf and speaking to people born mute. He uh, raises people, literally dead people, he brings them back to life. In fact, this is the cornerstone of our faith, is that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. This is on par, a talking donkey, with turning water into wine, walking on water, feeding thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes. We, we serve a God of miracles. And so this is just one among many miracles that we see in Scripture. Now, as interesting as it is to have a, a donkey talk to you, just, I don't know, how, how many people in here have pets? Have a pet at your house? Half? About half. Maybe more. All right, if your pet starts talking to you, What's your first call? It needs to be a therapist. Uh, I'm going to give you that right now. What's your first, what, what are you doing first? Look, look at Balaam. This, it's amazing to me. Balaam answered the donkey. Well, sure, why not? I mean, you know, it's like, it's a common everyday occurrence to talk to your donkey. Um, Balaam answered the donkey. You made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And the donkey, all right, he's engaging in a conversation with a donkey. It's amazing. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, Balaam says. 
Now, you get a little sense of Balaam's heart here. He's a man who's prideful. He says, you made a fool of me. He sort of has an anger issue, right? If I had a sword, I would kill you. But on the good side of Balaam, he says to to the donkey, uh, the donkey reasons with him, which is just super funny to me. Um, Dude, I've never done this before. Have I ever done this to you before? Oh, no. Okay, well, maybe there's something going on here. And from then on, we see no more talking from the donkey. I think it says this. Um, When God wants to deliver a message... He uses any means he chooses. Uh, he, he, can, he, he can speak any way he wants. We talked about it last week. The Bible is his main way to speak to us, but he speaks to us other ways. We've all been spoken to, I think, in, a, in the words of a song or in a, a movie clip or something has moved us. We, we've all had this experience. I mean, if you live long enough, things impact you. You can see an interview on television. You can talk to somebody at a coffee shop. There are ways that God gets his message across. And so God utilized, in this particular instance, the the voice of a donkey. Now, look what happens. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in uh, in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Let's concentrate on that language, the angel of the Lord, just for a second. We don't know uh, exactly from Scripture who the angel of the Lord is. But it's interesting to me that it's not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. That kind of changes things a little bit. And here we see Balaam falling face down and worshiping the angel of the Lord. So there's not just, it's not just the angel of the Lord, but it's also an angel that receives worship. And you see this a few times in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord shows up and he, um, he speaks words of God and he accepts worship. Um, it's interesting to me that the appearances of the angel of the Lord cease and you don't see any of them in the New Testament. You see uh, angels who represent the Lord. Like Gabriel is the one who appears to Mary, and we're assuming Joseph. And Gabriel is the one who appeared to Zechariah to say, hey, there are going to be some miraculous births coming about. You know, Zechariah was an old man. He had an old wife. They had a young baby. And, and uh, Mary was a virgin. And, and so Gabriel shows up. So we have names for those angels. It's not the angel of the Lord. It's an angel of the Lord. Nowhere in the New Testament do you see the language, the angel of the Lord. So most scholars believe this is something called a Christophany. I wanted to give you kind of a new word, a Christophany. This is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, kind of a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ. And so if this is Jesus speaking to uh, Balaam, it, it makes a little difference in his message. Well, it really doesn't. I mean, anybody speaking for God, an angel is going to give you the words of God. But this is, let's suppose this is a Christophany, that this is Jesus speaking to Balaam. And he says, I came out to oppose you because what you are doing is evil. Again, you said I could go, and now you say I can't go. And I really think that Balaam had decided he was going to go for the money. 
And so this was, I believe, Jesus saying, dude, don't do that. You can go, remember our agreement. You can go, but you have to say exactly what I tell you to say. And from this point on, Balaam does exactly what God tells him to say. Four times. Four different times, Balak says, hey man, put a curse on these people, and Balaam blesses them. Four times. One, two, three, four. It is, it is interesting. And, and every time they'll offer a sacrifice and, and Balak will say, put the curse on. And Balaam will say, no. And, and then he gets upset. And of course he gets upset. You, you've offered this large sum of money for a cursing that isn't going to happen. Now there's the question around, okay, this, was cursing something that worked or didn't work? Evidently, there's something about it that was spiritual and beneficial to the person doing the cursing. I, I'm not smart enough, wise enough to understand all the inner workings of the spirit's world. God does what he does, but I do think there are, are actions out there and there are evil places. And I've been places where you can feel the darkness there. Miriam and I and the girls went to um, one of the Holocaust, one of the um, concentration camps. I've, I've talked about this before uh, in, in Germany. And there was, now this has been, think about it, it's been decades since that was a prison camp. But you get to that, um, you, you get on those grounds, and, and there was a darkness to that place it was dark it was almost as if the mood of the people there change you you walk through the gates and it's different you feel that a little bit in places where their christianity is not very present uh, we're sponsoring a church in salt lake city in the area and around the, the Mormon temple, it's a very um, uh, unchristian area. And you can feel the weight of that. It's interesting. And so, Balaam, four times he is called on to curse the nation of Israel. And four times he offers a blessing. He doesn't just not curse them. He goes the other direction completely and blesses them. I'm fairly certain he didn't get paid. And this is how the story kind of ends here. Then Balaam got up and returned home. And Balak uh, went his own way as well. And so they part ways. And one would say, okay, all's well that ends well. Except Balaam's name comes back up. In the New Testament, it's really interesting. And it's always negative. Balaam has maybe a good reputation in that day, but in the New Testament, when people talk about him, and Jesus even talks about him. In fact, I'll show you that verse. He has quite the bad reputation. Jesus said, Balaam taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Evidently. Balaam became a counselor still of Balak, and Balak and his people, the Moabites, infiltrated the Israelites, and they uh, tempted them, and they ch challenged them, and these folks become, the Israelites become 
more pagan. And I don't know what uh, Balaam's tombstone says, but it might have said money grubber, idolatry enticer, and morality teacher. And that was who he was. Now let's talk about the morals of the story. The first one is this. When God says no, he means no. He said, don't go curse, don't go curse him, just don't go do that. N-O, don't go do that. And so there, there's Balaam, and he says no to this large amount of money. It's tough. It's tough to turn down large amounts of money. And, and, and if we've ever resisted temptation, we... We, we feel really good about ourselves, and I think Balaam probably felt really good about himself. I mean, maybe you're on a diet, and, and the waitress says, uh, would you like a, a dessert? And all you've had, all you've had is a stinking little salad. Stinking little salad. And she said, would you like a dessert? And you're tempted. I mean, you're saving some calories already. You're at a calorie deficit right here. But you say no. No. Or uh, let's say somebody asks you out. And you know they have a kind of a bad reputation. So you, you say no, no. Or uh, you wake up and you've got some errands to run and you're tempted to go to Walmart in your PJs. But you think about it and... You know, what if somebody sees me? So you say, no. And then, it's a funny thing. Um, Satan is the sorest of losers. Because he'll tempt you, but then he'll, <laughs> he'll tempt you again. He doesn't just stay away. And so you've resisted the pie, but then the waitress says, it's a la mode. You know what that means in French? A taste of heaven. Better than normal. And so now you have to re-resist. Or this date that you've turned down, well, you find out he's got money. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, wait a minute. Or you're tempted to go to Walmart in your PJs, and then you watch the people of Walmart, and you, you, you Google it, you watch it on YouTube, the people of Walmart, and you decide in your mind, if I go in my PJs, I'm not even going to crack the top ten you know, uh, of any of this stuff. And so there's temptation, and there's more temptation. And, and so Balaam, he, he resisted, and then when they came back and said, we got a blank check, he's like, well, wait a minute. And, and I really think, honestly, I think... He was going to go, and, and, and maybe he was going to say, Oh, God, if they pay me a lot, I'll tithe. It'll be a big tithe. I'm going to do this nefarious thing, but think about the tithe, God. Or, or, or I'm just going to, I'm going to fake curse them. I'm going to say words they can't understand and act like it's a curse. Or, or I won't mean it. See, we, we justify things. I'll do it, but I won't really mean it. There's this story in Scripture about Jesus, and he fasts for 40 days. He's in the wilderness. And then it says Satan shows up to tempt him. And he tempts him three times. Three times. And each time, Jesus rebuffs him with Scripture. 
you know, fall down and worship me. And Jesus is like, the Bible says, you know, worship the God alone, worship God alone. And, you know, uh, serve him only. And, and so Jesus is able to, to resist the temptations. And then there's this interesting verse. And when the devil, uh, the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him forever? Is that what it says? <laughs> Until the next opportunity came. It's like Satan chips away at us. We say no, but a little piece of us wanted to say yes. And there's a foothold. I was thinking about, when, when am I most susceptible to give in to temptation? When I'm tired, when I'm lonely, when I don't have accountability, when intoxicated, when I let down my guard, when I'm breathing. Those are times that we're susceptible to temptation. And, and sometimes it's just he has pecked away at us for so long that we just can't say no anymore. And maybe that was Balaam and God knew it. And so, or, or maybe Balaam said, you know what, I'll play the grace card. I'll do it, but I know God is a forgiving God, and I'll just ask forgiveness. I'll do this thing that I know is wrong, but I'll go ahead and I'll know I can play the grace card. You've heard of the race card? Well, this is the grace card. I'm going to ask forgiveness even though I know going in this is the wrong thing to do. There's a guy named David in the Old Testament, and he is a, a follower of God, and he loves God, and he's called a man after God's own heart, and yet he makes these grievous mistakes. His mistakes cost people their lives. I mean, he, he makes, he, because he's in a powerful position, he can make, as king, he can make decisions, and when he makes decisions, they have uh, far-reaching ramifications. And he writes this psalm, 139th Psalm, and it's sort of, it's kind of this, our song. <laughs> it was his song, obviously, but it's our song. You've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I, lie and I rise. Will you, will you perceive my thoughts from afar, which is scary. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. And what a perfect verse for Balaam. You know the words on my tongue. You hem me in. Sometimes we start down a path and we know that it's wrong. It's an interesting thing about cultures. Cultures come and go, and societal norms are ever-shifting. But the Bible is very consistent in saying God does not change like shifting shadows. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when God says no, he means no. Something else about this, God goes out of his way to save us from ourselves. I think it's brilliant. God doesn't really want us to do the wrong thing. He really wants us to do the right thing. When Law enforcement is trying to catch people. Sometimes they do something called a sting. You've seen this, probably. I saw a video of this the other day. Uh, they had set up this... 
there were people with outstanding warrants, and they wanted to catch them, and so they couldn't find them. You know, they're moving around or whatever. So what they do is they, they send uh, an email or a letter. I can't remember exactly how they communicated, but they communicated with these people that you have won a prize. All you have to do is show up at the convention center and pick up your prize. And so these unwitting criminals will show up, these people with outstanding warranties, and they would uh, double-check to make sure that this was the person. They would check their identification. And then they would say, okay, your prize is in that room. And they would walk in that room, and guess what was waiting for them in that room? Police officers with handcuffs. They baited them. They, They enticed them. We used to watch this show, I forget, it was called, uh, it was Dateline, and, and they would catch uh, child predators, and, and they, these, these men, almost always men, would communicate with, with what they thought were young girls or young boys, and they would uh, solicit uh, sex from them, and these people would show up at this house, and there would be police officers. It's called a sting. You, you, you set people up for failure. God never sets us up for failure. In fact, he, he sets us up for success. It says in Scripture, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He'll not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, He will show you a way out. He is so for you. He never wants you to to give in to temptation. One last thing. Ultimately, in the end, it's up to us. Balaam chose those four times to listen to God. He's probably scared out of his mind. He'd seen uh, the angel of the Lord with a sword. I mean, I, that would scare me out of my mind. But eventually, he goes back to bad practices. He, he leads Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. And therefore, when he, uh, when he dies, his reputation is bad. It's just bad. And God is absolutely for us, but he also will absolutely let us make our own choices. It's up to us. And there's this scary verse in Romans that says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful thing their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things because what he will not do is take away our free will. We still get to choose. We can choose to do right when tempted. And when we choose to do right when tempted, we have to understand... Our victory is only temporary. Every sports team understands this. It's funny. There'll be, there'll be two football games today, and there will be winners. And then in two weeks, there'll be a Super Bowl, and there will be a winner. The NFL will have a champion. I don't even remember who it was last year. Who was it? Colton? The Rams, the Rams, not even in the playoff. Colton, how did you not know that? Uh, you knew, I'm sure. Oh, he said it. Of course, he's a football guy. All right. I can't even, who was it two years ago? Eagles? What? Oh, the Buccaneers, that's right. Who was it in 2015? Bugs Bunny, not true. Uh, it wasn't the Cowboys. Thank you, Cliff. Uh, Wound meets salt. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, so 
there's going to be a champion in three weeks. Is that right? Two weeks, three weeks, three weeks. There'll be a champion. And before the broadcast is over, they will be talking about next season. There'll already be prognostication of who can win next year. Because victories are fleeting. <laughs> they just don't last. The Rams didn't even make the playoffs, I don't think. They won the whole thing last year. They didn't even make the playoffs. You can win uh, the over-temptation now. That doesn't mean a thing for next week. Or the next day. Or the next moment. And God lets us choose. And so ultimately the question is, will I choose success as God defines it? Will I choose to do the right thing even when I'm tempted over and over and over? And it's really difficult to do. It's really difficult. And the challenge for us is to understand every victory we should celebrate. But understand, that's not the end. We don't stop fighting until we get to heaven. That's unfortunately the reality of our world is we just can't stop fighting until the Lord brings us home. Balaam had victory today, kind of. He won until he didn't. He did good until he did bad. <laughs> so it's a challenge for us. All right, can I maintain um, all that God wants me to do? That's our challenge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words today. Thank you for um, the story of Balaam and how it, it does challenge us and helps us to realize that When you say no, it means no, that you're for us every step of the way, and we still get to choose. Help us to choose wisely this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.